0: Matthew 19, beginning at verse 16, it says, Just then someone came up and asked him, to him is the Messiah, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked him. Yeshua answered, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, Do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Yeshua said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor. and You will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. When the young man heard that command, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Father Yahweh, bless the teaching today. May it go down deep into the minds and the hearts of the people. I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. So Father, I pray that you would attach your spirit to this sermon and do what you would have it to do. Through your Son, Yeshua, I pray. Amen. Life is full of pressure. Pressure to be a perfect husband. Pressure to be a perfect wife. Pressure to never make a mistake on your job. Pressure to never mess up when you train your children. And then when you are not perfect, or when you make mistakes, or you mess up royally, there's usually somebody that stands beside you to tell you just how backwards you are. Life is full of pressure. And If you're like me, and biblically I think that we are all the same, then you know who you are. Matthew knows who he is. And what I mean is this, is that you know the real you. Not the you at church, trying to please other people all the time, but the real you. You know your failings. You know your pressure points. You know what makes your temper boil. I know what makes my temper boil. Somebody told me one time, said, Brother Matthew, I didn't think you got mad. I said, well, you thought wrong. I've been mad many times in my life over silly things most of the time. But we all know what's in our heart. I heard a preacher once talk about the thoughts that go through our minds. And we tend to think of sin in a limited way. We limit sin. We narrow it down to a few things like murder. And murder is a sin. Or abortion, which is a sin, which is murder. Homosexuality. These are sins, but we tend to limit sin down to a few things. And we figure if we don't do those things, then everything's going to be okay. We're a righteous person. We don't like to entertain even the thought that an ugly attitude that we have towards someone is sin. Or that a wicked thought of hatred or lust that we think about for just a few seconds is sin. The fact of the matter is they are all sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. and You break any of Yahweh's law and you've committed sin. And all sin begins in the heart and the mind. This is why Yeshua talks about Matthew 5, lusting after a woman in your heart, hating your brother in your heart. He knows that what that's going to eventually cause if it gets too far is murder or adultery. But it's still a sin of the heart and the mind. Yeshua tells us in Matthew 15 and Mark 7 that the things that defile a man come from Within his heart. Within his heart. Now the Pharisees, they were worried about their hands needing to be washed before they ate ritually. When the problem with the Pharisees was not dirty hands, it was dirty hearts. They needed their hearts washed. Well, this preacher that I heard one time, he spoke of how none of us would like for just our thoughts for the week. To be captured digitally and placed on the big screen at church. He commented that we would most likely run out of the church and not ever want to come back if only our thoughts were known by our friends. And that's because we know who we really are deep down inside. And Yahweh knows us as well. We might fool our friends or our relatives or even our spouse at times. But Yahweh knows the reality of who we really are. And we can't fool Yahweh. You know, you can fool people, at least for a time. My mother always told me when I was a little boy, be sure that your sin will find you out, son. That's actually a quotation I learned later on from the book of Numbers. Be sure your sin will find you out from the King James Version. That is so true. And there were times in my adolescence and in my teenage years when I would fool my friends or sometimes my parents, but only for a time, only for a time. Because that scripture that my mama taught me was so true. Be sure your sin will find you out. The world believes that man is basically good. The church world, to some extent, has even bought into this way of thinking. I've heard preachers say that we are for the most part good. or are good people who sometimes do bad things. And from my study of the Scriptures, I think that's the exact opposite. There was a book out years ago. I think the title of it was, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And I think the title should be reversed. Why do good things happen to bad people? Because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And salvation is the greatest thing that could ever happen to anybody. So why does that good thing of salvation happen to somebody who doesn't have anything to bring to Yahweh but their sin and their repentance? There's a reason for that, and it's called mercy, and it's called grace. In Genesis six verse five, Yahweh looked down upon the earth and he saw that the wickedness of man was great, and that every thought in his mind was nothing but evil all the time. In Genesis eight twenty one, Yahweh says that man's inclination is evil from his youth. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And David even prays in Psalm 25, 7. He says, Yahweh, don't remember the sins of my youth. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20 says that there isn't a just man on earth who does good and never sins. Verse 29 in Ecclesiastes 7 goes on to say that Yahweh made man upright, but they pursued many schemes. Even Adam and Eve in the garden They were naked. They were unashamed. They were living in paradise. They had never sinned. But yet they listened to the voice of the serpent. I don't know about you, but I've heard some people in my life through the years say things like, well, if Adam wouldn't have done what he did or if Eve wouldn't have done what she did, when in reality, we've all done what Adam and Eve did. We've all disobeyed Yahweh Just like Adam and Eve were sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Yahweh's instruction said, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. It's in Genesis chapter 2. And then the serpent comes along in Genesis 3 and he says the opposite of Yahweh. You won't die. Don't listen to Yahweh. He adds a little word in there. And what do humans do? They believe the enemy of Yahweh. And I'm not saying anything today that we all don't already know in our minds and our hearts. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we're good. We can trick our minds into believing that we are somehow holy or righteous or self-righteous, I should say. But we know in all honesty that we're not. This is What's so important, brothers and sisters, is that until we admit that we are sick, we'll never be humble enough to receive the medicine to make us well. I had an aunt. She was probably my favorite aunt. She died in her early 40s from a tumor on her brain that she didn't know about. She had no clue that it was there threatening her life on her brain. The very day that she died, She woke up, and just like every other day, it was normal. Everything was okay. Everything was going as she had planned. I think later on my uncle said that she mentioned she'd been feeling just a little bit listless that morning, a little bit down, but who of us don't have days where we feel listless or we don't feel like we have energy or something like that? That's not out of the ordinary. Now, do you think that if she had known about that tumor, let's say a year before her death, that she would have at least done something about it? Well, absolutely. Any of us would. We all would. But if we don't realize that we're sick or in trouble, we never want to seek for the cure. We don't think we need the cure. We'll be like a blind man that stands next to a cliff, and we stand there as though nothing's wrong, And this was the problem with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. He asked a question about eternal life. How do I get it, teacher? I want to live forever. What good thing must I do to have eternal life? And we read here that Yeshua responds to him by simply telling him, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments if you want to enter life. That's simple enough. But the problem is is that we just read about seven texts from the Old Testament without even going into the New just a second ago that teaches that we don't keep the commandments. Remember Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20. A man who was blessed with his wisdom by Yahweh said this, There is certainly no righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. But Brother Matthew, surely Yeshua just means keep the commandments part of the time or sometimes or maybe most of the time. Keep the commandments most of the time. That's what he means. Why do we want to read that into the text? We want to read it into the text because we know we haven't always kept the commandments. That's why. Why do we want to justify ourselves and our sin? Why do we not want to admit that we are sick and instead lay around in our self-righteousness? When Yeshua says keep the commandments, you know what he means? He means keep the commandments. He didn't say keep them part-time, half-time, most of the time. He said, keep the commandments, and you'll enter into life. If you break the commandments, that means you're not keeping them. Keep the commandments means just that. And it's a surefire way to inherit eternal life if you keep the commandments. The problem is, the rich young ruler didn't do it. And Matthew hasn't done it either. We have sins of our youth that I just talked about. Those sins of my youth, they mar Matthew's record. They're like Demeris, like the teacher would put on the chalkboard when I was going up in school. Those sins of my youth are. We still have times, even as a saint, now that I'm born again, I have times, even as a saint, when I sin against Yahweh or my neighbor. We battle just like Paul in Romans 7. We have times when we want to do good, but instead we choose to do bad. Paul battled with it. Now somebody might say this, well in John 14, 15, Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I believe that verse with both hands raised up. I preach it all the time. That's a true verse. And any time we keep a commandment empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are loving Him. But, any time we don't, keep a commandment and we all know that we had those times. We're not loving him. We're hating him. So what is the remedy? Brothers and sisters, what's the remedy? Is it to act like we're sinless? Is it to say with the rich young ruler, well I've done all that since I've been a little boy and when the rich young ruler tried to go that route, you know what happened? Yeshua stopped him. Yeshua stopped him. I think he probably interrupted Yeshua because you'll notice Yeshua only quotes some of the Ten Commandments here. And so I think that the rich young ruler interrupted him in full speech and said, hey, hey, I've done all those. I've kept all those. And so Yeshua stopped him and said basically, no, you haven't. You haven't kept them all. And until you admit that, I can't help you. Yeshua in telling him to keep the commandments to have eternal life was trying to get him to see that he had not done it and that he needed the man that he was talking to, the Messiah. So brothers and sisters, the remedy is not to fool ourselves into thinking that we are good. The remedy is not to try harder or to do better. The remedy is not a self-help speech that gets our adrenaline pumping for a few days. This is the remedy. The remedy is to admit that you can't do it. The remedy is to say, I'm sick and I need your help, Master. The remedy is to tell Yahweh, Father, I haven't kept your commandments and I need you to save me through the merits of your Son. That's the remedy. We don't just lift our hands to His commandments. Do you know there's a text of Scripture that says that in Psalm 119, verse 48? David says, I will lift up my hands to your commandments, which I have loved. But we don't just lift our hands to his commandments because we want to embrace those commandments and have them active in our life. We lift our hands to his commandments because we're surrendering and we're saying, I can't do this on my own. That's what the sign of the lifted hands is. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Let's go to one more text in this lesson. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. I'll begin reading at verse 9. I'll go all the way through verse 14. This is our Messiah. In one of His parables, He says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. Elohim, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, greedy and unrighteous and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest and saying, Elohim, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I want you to notice the opening verse here, verse
1: 9. There were
0: some people who trusted in themselves, thinking they were righteous, and look down on everyone else. That sounds like a lot of Christians I've known over the years. That's what it sounds like. That sounds like a lot of churchgoers I've met in my life. The people who think they've got every I dotted, every T crossed, they wear just the right Christian clothes, they sit on just the right pew, and they look down through their nostrils at every person who isn't just like them. And I'm ashamed to say that that's been me at times in my life. That's been me. Yeshua talks about two men going into the temple complex to pray. One is a Pharisee. The Hebrew word is perishim. It means separated one. And the Pharisees consider themselves to be the strictest group in all the Hebrew faith. They were it. The elite class. The upper class. They were better than the Sadducees, even though the word Sadducees actually stems from the word Zadokians, which means sons of Zadok, who could trace their genealogy all the way back to Aaron, a righteous bloodline. The Pharisees said, we're better than these guys. They're better than the Essenes that lived out in the wilderness by themselves and even didn't get married because they wanted to devote their life totally to Yahweh. Or the Zealots who were so zealous for the righteousness of Yahweh that they would even put people to death. Sometimes the Pharisees consider themselves to be over all of these different groups in the Hebrew faith. They were the elite, and they knew that they were the elite, and they would tell you that they were the elite if you asked them. But many of them hated Yeshua. And you know why? Because He would hit them where it hurts. I'm not talking about with His fist but right in the heart. Right where they needed help. In their heart. Now the other guy, he went to pray and he was a tax collector. And they were looked down on in the first century just like they're looked down on in the 21st century. Amen? Brother John, can I get an amen, brother? Many tax collectors took much more than they were told to take by the ruling government. They would steal from people. Zacchaeus was a tax collector that Yeshua saved in Luke 19, the next chapter after this one. And he definitely stole it from people because after his conversion, he spoke about needing to repay people double and even some people fourfold. Yahweh really got a hold of Zacchaeus' heart <laughs> wanting to repay somebody back fourfold. So the Pharisee stands up to pray and he starts his prayer off by downing the guy beside him. What nerve? Could you think about that? You walk into the temple complex to pray and there's this tax collector and he's praying and he's close to you and your opening words in your prayer is downing the tax collector. Yahweh, I'm thankful I'm not like this filthy tax collector that came here to pray today. Could you imagine those words coming out? What nerve that this man had. And then the Pharisee starts quote unquote reminding Yahweh of everything that he does. I fast this much. I tithe this much. I say these prayers. I dress this way. And my tassels are tied just right. And I use the proper eloquent words when I pray. And I, and I, and I, and I do this, and I do that. And it's all about me and I. But see, prayer is not about building up our self-righteousness. It's not about making us sound good and others sound bad. The book of Proverbs actually teaches that you should never give yourself praise anyhow. Yourself. It says, let another man's lips praise you and not your own. My dad taught me that when I was a little boy. And even when you receive praise from other people's mouths, you should always receive it in humility and never in pride. Well, the tax collector, he wouldn't even raise his head up to heaven. Instead, he looked down and he kept beating his chest, the text says. and Striking your chest or yourself in those days was an act of mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. According to Luke 23:48, there were people that watched the crucifixion of Yeshua and they left when, after He died and they went home and it says they were beating their chest. It's an act of mourning. And how did the tax collector pray when he was beating his chest? This is how he prayed. Yahweh, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. So I ask you today, when is the last time that you prayed like that? See, we use prayer as though we're the master and Yahweh is the butler or the genie. And we're going to tug a little rope so we can come and say, you reign, Master Matthew. But I've never seen anywhere in Scripture where he's called Yahweh the butler or Yahweh the genie. I've seen him called Yahweh the king You don't make demands of a king. You come before him humbly. Yet most of our prayer consists of requests. And oftentimes these requests are ones which consume upon our own lusts of the flesh. Yet when Yeshua taught his disciples to pray, it started out how? Exalting Yahweh. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name praying for His kingdom to come and His will to be done. Not so much about what Matthew wants, but what Yahweh wants. He taught them to ask Yahweh to forgive them of their debts. He said, pray this, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Help us to forgive other people, Yahweh, and please forgive us of our sins. He said they should pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and then finished by saying that the kingdom, the power, and the glory was Yahweh's forever. And there's only one request in that prayer for ourselves, and that's where he says, pray this, give us this day our daily bread, what we need to survive. Bread was a staple food. It doesn't just mean that you're praying just for a loaf of bread, but give us what we need to survive, Yahweh. Supply us with food, nourishment, housing, clothes that we need to survive. And you know what? If our heart has been changed by Yahweh, this is how our prayers will sound. Any good prayer sounds like a Lord's prayer. And you don't have to get eloquent. You just pattern your prayers after Yeshua's teaching on prayer. I remember still growing up when I was a little boy, and I thought it was a great thing then how that sometimes visiting evangelists would come to church, and they would pray. And when they prayed, you know what? It would sound just like they were reading the King James Version. Everything was thee and thouest and thus. And I thought, boy, they're a good prayer. But Yeshua actually teaches not to pray like that. In Matthew 6, you can read about it. He says, don't pray like the heathens pray, for they think they'll be heard for their much and eloquent speaking. But when you pray, talk to me like you would your dad. I like to go and sit down if I have free time and talk with my dad, just me and him, if it's for 10, 15 minutes, ask him how he's doing, tell him I love him, talk to him. You know, Yahweh likes for us to do that too. He recognizes that we're but flesh. He recognizes I don't know Hebrew. He recognizes I don't even know Greek. I'm an old southern boy with a southern drawl. And even when I try not to speak with that southern drawl, it still comes out southern. (laughs) That's okay though. Yahweh hears me when I pray. And I can talk to Him, just like I'm talking to you guys right now. And sometimes I do that when I drive down the road with my eyes open. Sometimes I do it with my head bowed. Sometimes I do it with my head up to the sky. Sometimes I'm on my knees. Sometimes I'm on my face. Sometimes I'm walking. Sometimes I'm standing still. But I pray to him, and I talk to him like, like my dad, Abba, my spiritual father. The tax collector pray, Yahweh, turn your wrath from me, have mercy upon me, for I am a sinner. And I'd venture to say that most Christians don't pray like that, but we should. Because if it were not for Yahweh's mercy, none of us would be here today. None of us would be here today. We would all end up under his wrath, every single one of us. So which of the two prayed correctly? Well, obviously it was the tax collector. The one everybody looked down on. He prayed right. Not the Pharisee, the one everybody looked up to. I guarantee if the Pharisee and tax collector walked through the street of Jerusalem, the main one, everybody would think the Pharisee was this righteous fella. The tax collector, we don't want to get too close to him. We might inherit some kind of filthiness from it. But yet the tax collector prayed correctly, Yahweh, have mercy on me. Turn your wrath from me. And the tax collector, it says, went down to his house justified, declared innocent, declared righteous. Rather than the Pharisee, why? The verse ends, verse 14 of Luke 18, It ends by saying this, because those who exalt themselves will be brought down low. But those who put themselves down low or humble themselves, they will be exalted. Brother Matthew, you're talking about how bad man is, and that's true. And I have to talk about how bad man is because the Bible talks about how bad man is. But the good news is is this, is that by Yahweh's grace and mercy, He can change all of that. But if we stay humble and lower ourselves, and I like to say, think less of ourselves, Yahweh will lift us up in His time. But if we try to exalt ourselves and be better than other people and think that we're some kind of something or whatever it is, Mr. It, Yahweh can tear us down, just like the Pharisee. The tax collector was not justified because he was a perfect person. The tax collector wasn't justified because he kept the Sabbath all the time perfectly or because he never left home without his tassels or because he was always a perfect husband or father. Yes, you should keep the Sabbath. Yes, you should wear tassels. And yes, you should strive to be a good husband and father. But that's not why the tax collector was justified. has nothing to do with it. On his bad days, the days when he wasn't his best, that Sabbath-keeping or tassel-wearing or fatherhood or husbandry, he was still justified. Because when he prayed, he knew that he needed constant help from Yahweh. He knew it. And he knew that even his best days, even the days where he did what felt like the best he could do, still didn't measure up to Yahweh's perfect law. The remedy for all of us is to admit that we're sick and only then we will receive the treatment of the gospel. The treatment that we all need so bad because we're so unworthy. And the treatment is free of charge for those who admit that they're sick. It's perfectly, beautifully free. The treatment doesn't say do. The treatment says it is finished. But as long as we think that we're good in ourself or that we don't sin that bad or that we're really not sinners, you know what we'll do? We'll stand praying like the Pharisee. I thank the Lord that I'm not like this guy right here. It's not the right way to pray. And as long as we do that, we'll never catch this now. This is good. We will never be able to keep any commandments correctly. This is why. Because we're trying to do it in our own strength and in our own self-righteousness. Here's the neat thing. And a lot of times things in Yahweh's word are backwards to our human understanding.
1: The neat thing is this.
0: In the moment that we let go of the reins and give up and we tell Yahweh, Father, I can't do it. Have mercy on me, a sinner. At that moment, Yahweh gives us the strength to do what we need to do at any given time. Because He sees we're not no longer relying on ourselves. We're relying on Him. We're not trying to do it on our own. Matter of fact, we're saying, I can't do it on my own. That's the medicine. That's the gospel of the Messiah. The changing of our heart. The will to do what's holy. But the medicine is only given to those who admit they're sick and they cry out for mercy. Brothers and sisters, His grace and His mercy is all I've got. And when I know that He loves me like that, you know what it does? Does it ever make me want to serve him as his little child? Let's stand and have a word of prayer, sweet class. Heavenly Father, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you, Father, your mercy endureth forever. Father, I thank you, Father, for for your love. And I pray that you would instill it in my heart to to be a prayer. Uh, like your son taught and to be a prayer like that tax collector and recognize had it not been for you on our side, tell me where would I be? Help us, Yahweh, in our prayer life. Be biblical. Help us, Father Yahweh, to be be practical as well. We need you, Yahweh, every day. Every day. Help us to humble ourselves so that you can exalt us. And Father, any time that we feel that little bit of exaltation try to rise up in us or pride or boastfulness, pray, Father, that we remember your word and not let it not let it enter. But Father, continue to humble ourselves and let you exalt us when you see fit. It's through your Son, Yeshua the Messiah, that I pray.